Good evening. How's everyone doing? Very good. How many of you enjoyed the Olympics? <laughs> How many really just don't care too much about the winter games? Okay. Summer game people. Well, USA did good. Thank goodness we added the X Games element or we would have done a horrific, but... Um, we are moving along here. A couple of announcements. Um, we've got coming up uh, March 26th, and I know you've been hearing about it. We've got this whole, whole idea of this comedy night that's coming in. It's Michael Jr., and um, we've been showing different uh, clips on Sunday morning. And I just want to encourage you, go to this event. This guy is at a whole nother level. He is a hilarious comedian. Again, he's been on Leno. He's been on all the shows, and he's one of the, the funniest guys um, he is one of the few guys that actually made Tim Conway lose it. And so Tim Conway was always famous in um, the Carol Burnett show for making everybody else lose it. But Michael Jr., when they were um, together, he, he actually would get Tim going. So you definitely want to be here. This is something you want um, to bring your friends to, your family. Make sure you get the tickets. Um, go to Cornerstone Online backslash Michael Jr. Um, because it's a one... Just one showing. So when these seats are filled, it's a, a done deal. So make sure you do that. A couple other things. Um, we've got some mission trips coming up. We've got um, four trips going off into Kenya. Um, so this um, um, coming up this summer. So if you are still interested in going to Kenya, we have four different trips um, going throughout the summer. Um, middle of June, the entire month of July, and the first couple weeks of August. An incredible opportunity to get out there and serve and, and get alongside Mama Sapora uh, as she... Um, works with these orphans and just see what's happening there. And there's going to be a big emphasis this year on a lot of her orphans that were she's had since birth are now going up into college. And one of the big things in Kenya is, yeah, you can you can save the children off the streets, but then when they get to the college age, they just go right back out in the streets because there is uh, the economy is real tough there. So she's made it a huge priority to educate her children, and she is sending her children often to college. And so we are trying to come alongside and really help um, these orphans, not just feed them and, and clothe them and house them, but give them a life that they can have um, for the, the next 60 years after they leave. So it's going to be a huge emphasis. You'll see that coming up even around this Easter time as Mama comes out here, and she's going to bring one of her collegiate orphans with her. Um, we've got Jamaica coming up in this fall, and I know the first interest meeting's coming up um, rather quickly. We've got three different one-week trips um, to Jamaica. Um, Jamaica is a little bit of a cheaper um, price. Obviously, it's a closer deal. It's an amazing trip. Um, it, it really deals with evangelism. We're going to go in and out of public schools. We're going to go in the hospitals, the prisons. We're going to be doing um, shows on the street. Um, if you're into music, uh, if you're into uh, drama, or if, pretty much if you're into anything, this is a trip for you. We have um, stuff for every single person. So if you've never been on a mission trip, the Jamaica trip is an absolutely amazing time. And I know our high school trip, our high school group is going to be focusing on week two. So if you have high schoolers, really push them on there. And then it's never too early to announce we've got India coming up next year. And so if um, you've seen some of the details on India, it's a powerful trip to come alongside Suresh. So a lot happening. Of course, every second Saturday we have uh, opportunities here. So I want to encourage you to get involved in that. All right, so we're going um, through this journey 180, and we're, we're cruising on through. This Sunday, we just, we just did the whole um, book of Joshua. So we've gone through um, the Exodus. We've followed them through the wanderings. Israel has now actually finally got into the promised land. They crossed over 
the Jordan. They were able to uh, defeat Jericho. And a, as we go through Joshua, you see um, Joshua is pretty much a book of war. Um, a, a lot of different wars that Israel's involved in. And so now as we head into the era of the judges, um, back here, and let me move this over just a little bit. We are... Na- Look at that. All right. So we are now moving. We, this is about 1,500 David's about a thousand, so we are in this gap between fifteen hundred and a thousand, and Judges takes anywhere between three hundred and four hundred years of that. So Joshua was about a hundred years. Judges is going to lead us all the way up to David and actually mirror or butt up right against David. So tonight we're going to go from about fourteen hundred all the way to a thousand, which will put us right at David, and then of course Solomon follows David. So you have one of these. Make sure you grab one of these. There's the reader on the inside. Um, just for you teachers out there, yes, I know there is a typo on here. Um, it says um, next or this Sunday we're going to be studying Samuel and Paul. It's actually Samuel and Saul. Okay, we'll we'll get to the other Saul slash Paul later on. So and there is another typo on the back of this. Um, kudos if you can find it. All right. So let's um, get on into Judges. Um, Joshua has passed away. Um, everybody have one of these. These are the new handouts for tonight. Um, again, I know a lot of you are blank filler inners, so we've got a whole bunch of blanks to fill in. Um, there are there are fifteen judges, fifteen judges that are listed in the Bible. Some of them are a little debatable. Some will say that there's only thirteen judges, but I'm pretty sure um, as you look through the Bible, you'll you'll get to about fifteen judges. Um, we've filled in some of the judges that um, we're pretty much not going to talk about tonight, and then we'll let you fill in um, the other ones. So let's go to Judges chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who of us is to go up first and fight against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah, the Lord answered Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. So we're going to just stop right there. For the first couple chapters of of Judges, we see that without Joshua, Israel has no clear leader. Now, the promised land was supposed to be only for the Israelites. And during Joshua's reign, they were supposed to defeat each and every Um, um, group that was there and they were not supposed to intermarry but unfortunately the israelites continued to make the mistake of not listening to god so this would haunt them throughout their history because they continually had to refight wars they should have won in its entirety and so in the land that we would call palestine um, or modern day israel There are different people groups, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Abyssalites, the Hittites, they're all in this area. Um, Sunday we talked about, um, you can go back to Genesis chapter 10, and you can look and you can find where the birth of a lot of these people groups are. So anytime you go through the Old Testament, Joshua and Judges, and you get to one of those people that says blankites, You can go fill in the blank, most likely in Genesis chapter 10. With a couple of exceptions, um, the Moabites, who the Israelites are going to be um, fighting quite a bit, they trace their lineage all the way back to Lot. You'll remember um, Lot, as he was fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah and his wife um, turned into salt, which is a cool story in and of itself. 
It was Lot and his two daughters. And his two daughters, as Lot, Lot was sleeping, um, had an incestual um, relationship with him. And out of those relationships, each one of them had a child. Um, one of Lot's daughters had a child that we can trace the Moabites to. So the Moabites come um, from there. The uh, Edomites come from um, Esau and et cetera, et cetera. So we can trace a lot of these names back to either Genesis chapter 10 and most likely in, in the division of Ham um, with Canaan um, or potentially to Lot. So each one of these judges is going to be dealing with something. Now I'm going to skip real quick this top part and I want to get down to these, this little circular thing. I put a circle here with arrows going clockwise. In the middle of that circle, I want you to write Israel. And this is going to be what we call Israel's cycle of sin. Israel's cycle of sin. Because this is what happens over and over and over and over again in Judges. Okay? So at the very top, it's, you need to write, serves the Lord. Basically, Israel serves the Lord. Okay? So serves the Lord at the top. Going clockwise, around 2 o'clock there, falls into sin or idolatry. Falls into sin or idolatry. So Israel falls into sin or idolatry. Move on down to about four o'clock. Enslaved. Israel is enslaved. Right at your six, you can put cries out to the Lord. So Israel cries out to the Lord. Right around 8 o'clock, God raises up a judge. And then on the final blank, hopefully you have one left, Israel's delivered. And this is what would happen about 15 times in the book of Judges. Israel would serve the Lord. Israel would fall into sin or idol worship. Israel, because of that sin, would become enslaved because their covenant with God was now broken. Remember, both sides had to keep this covenant. The minute Israel pulled out, God pulled out. Okay? So Israel falls into sin. Because of that sin, they are enslaved. Sometimes it was by the Moabites. Sometimes it was by the Amalekites. Sometimes it was by the Philistines. Doesn't matter. Israel now cries out to the Lord. Save us. Forgive us. When they are earnest, God raises up a judge to help deliver them. Israel gets delivered. Israel serves the Lord. And then Israel falls into sin. And we just keep this cycle over and over and over again for about three to four hundred years. Okay, so as before we get into these specific judges... Um, the entire book of Judges, no one knows who wrote it. Um, most likely it was Samuel, who would be the last judge. Okay, So most likely it was Samuel, um, but no one knows who wrote it. The book of Judges is not necessarily chronological. Some of these judges served at the same time 
in different areas. So Israel is now moving into the promised land, and each one of the tribes, the 12 tribes, has sort of taken a different region. So some of these judges are dealing with all 12 tribes. Some of them are dealing with just a specific group of tribes. Okay, so that makes sense. So sometimes these judges are living together. So it's really hard to tell how long this period is. If you take it chronologically, it's about 480 years, but because a lot of them serve together, it's most likely around 350 to 400 years, but it does take us right up to about 1000 BC. All right, so let's move on into the first judge. You'll find him in chapter 3, verse 7. And again, because of time, and, and we've said this early on, we're, we cannot read through every judge. Um, so the first one is Othniel. And I just want to really read one verse, because this starts the cycle, basically. Verse 7, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Now, anytime you see the word Baal, sometimes it is direct worship of a false god named Baal. Sometimes it just means they served false gods, and they used Baal generalistically. Okay? Asherah, and you'll see this um, later on with the Philistines, Asherah or an Asherah pole. Asherah was a female god or goddess, basically a moon goddess that um, the people um, um, would worship. So when you see those two names, that's what they are. But the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot their Lord and they served the Baal. So they got into sin. They served uh, or they started worshiping. Um, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of um, Cushan uh, Roshliam, king of Aram, no, man, these are hard, Neraim, just giggle to yourself, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. So a lot of times when we're going through the judges and you see each judge, it will follow the cycle. It will tell you how long they were enslaved, most often, not always, and it will tell you how long they um, were delivered or how long they lived in peace. So you can sort of follow that thread um, throughout Judges. So we're going to get to the second judge, and his name is Ehud, E H U D, in verse 12, because this story is crazy. It's crazy. And this story reminds me when I was first starting in ministry. And again, I, I got called into ministry in a funky way. My friend was really cool, and I wasn't. My friend was popular, and I wasn't. And My youth pastor thought it would be cool to get him to be a a sponsor because that would draw some more kids or whatever. Um, And so the guy's name was Lynn. And and so Lynn reached across and and invited Dan. And on his way back, he looked at me, hey, you want to be a sponsor too? That was my call to ministry. Um, And so I ended up in ministry. Uh, My friend um, has long since left. But as I was first starting in ministry, I would just sit in Lynn's office. And he was a scrawny little youth pastor with big hair shall I say, a slight mullet. And, and, and I would just sit in his office and I would just ask questions because I didn't know anything about the Bible, nothing. Okay, So I would ask all the questions. And at first they were easy questions because I didn't know anything. Um, but then my mind started going and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> I would annoy him. And, and I remember one time I was getting ready to, to do my first um, speaking engagement. And it wasn't in front of the high school. I, I think it was down um, with the junior high. And um, basically, the junior high all went to camp, so it was me and and the 12 kids that didn't go to camp, poor kids, um, and they had to listen to me, poor kids. And and so 
Lynn, for whatever reason, um, said, hey, you should tell the story of Ehud. I'm like, oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Who's Ehud? And, and so he's all, well, I'm all, why Ehud? Well, he's one of the judges, and it's a cool story of how God delivers Israel. And I didn't know any of that stuff. I, I barely knew what Israel was. And, and he's all, and plus it'll make you look like you know what you're talking about, because no one talks about Ehud. And I was like, oh, I want that with a bunch of junior hires. Um, so that, so that was, this is actually my first message was um, Ehud. <laughs> And as we read through, you can see how this is probably not the best thing to talk about to junior hires because the giggle factor is just going to go through the roof. Um, Verse 12, junior high. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon or Eglon or whatever, uh, king of Moab. So now they're dealing with the Moabites. Power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites... Okay, and by the way, that's Lot's other daughter's descendants. Um, and the Amalekites to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of the Moabites, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out, following the cycle, uh, to the Lord. And he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man. This would be important. The son of Gera. A, the Benjamite, or Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword. Oh, shoot, I was going to bring my little sword. Um, a double-edged sword about a cubit long. So a cubit, everybody do this. A cubit is from your elbow to the tip of your um, fingers, okay? So it's around anywhere between 17 and 19 inches, depending on who the king of Israel was at that time. So it's always measured according to the king. Okay? So, now where are we at? Verse... I'm just going to go back to 15. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them to deliver Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, uh, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long. Hey, we're caught up which um, he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Okay? Talking to junior hires. Um, Who was a very fat man. Now where are we at again? 18. 18. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Um, After he had had presented the tribute, he um, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Now, just to put this in context, I'm on verse 20. Okay, just to put this in context, um, most likely back then, um, most of the king's quarters were either on the roof or probably very high. They were probably... uh, so they were, they were up fairly high, so either two or three stories. Um, very, very secure, so people couldn't be walking by the windows and obvi- obviously um, do anything. There would be doors, and that would lead down to the, um, the lower premises. Um, so all the king's attendants left. Verse 20, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace, and he said, I have a message from God for you. This gets awesome, by the way. I have a message for God from you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand. Okay? Remember, what was he right or left-handed? Left-handed. In that culture, by the way, same in Indian culture, what hand do you don't do anything with? 
your left hand. No one would be um, looking for the left hand um, to do anything. Drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Now we get to the gross parts. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Lost my entire group at this point. Ehud did not pull out the sword and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked him or locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. Okay. They waited to a point to the point of embarrassment. And by the way, my message was already done at this point. Um, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took the key and unlocked them. And there they saw their Lord had fallen to the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Syria or Syria. When they arrived there, he blew the trumpet in the hill of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down, took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to the Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. No one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. And so the cycle is now back. Okay? Crazy, weird story. But why I read that is because every judge, how God uses them is completely weird um, throughout judges. There is nothing that is really normal. But again, the cycle keeps moving down. We get to the next judge, Shamgar, and I'll read his whole story, so prepare. Okay? After he had came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. Done. Seen. Okay, that's it for Shamgar. Um, again, another weird story. I, I found a comic about Shamgar down here I thought was funny. Um, what an ox goad is, is basically it's a long stick. Um, some of them have um, a sharpened um, edge to them. Some people call these cattle prods. They're very similar. And as you're plowing your farm field, um, you would prod um, the oxen um, um, to go. And so um, Shamgar, obviously with the help of the Lord, I would assume, um, defeated 600, um, 600 Philistines um, with an ox goad. So um, another cool story there. The next um, judge is Deborah. Deborah is a, a, a unique judge for one major reason. What would you think it is? She's female. Okay. By the way, um, a lot of the skeptics go, oh, the Bible is so anti-female. It's not. The Bible breaks culture left and right when it comes to females. Left and right. The fact that Deborah was anointed the judge of Israel breaks about every possible cultural norm you could ever dream of. Um, not only in Israel, but any of the surrounding areas as well. Um, and throughout the Bible, you'll see that. And specifically, we talked about this Sunday, and we'll talk about it again tonight. You follow Jesus' bloodline, and it, it's pretty interesting um, what happens. But Deborah um, is basically elevated um, to the point of judge. Some say this is a, um, 
a message sent to the men of Israel that there's no one qualified in the, the manly realm um, to do the job. Um, as the story goes on, we, um, it's a popular story, but, so we're not going to spend too much time on it. But they end up chasing down, um, starting in 21, they end up chasing down um, their enemy. Again, Deborah chapter 4 starts with, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, they end up chasing down um, the leader of the army that they're going against. And we'll read it from there, um, cha- or channel 21, verse 21. Um, but Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quickly and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove a peg through the temple into the ground and he died as he should have. Okay? And so, again, another weird ending um, to a reign of a foreign power. Um, we get to Gideon. I want to drop anchor a little bit more on Gideon because this is an incredible, incredible um, story. Turn to Gideon, um, return to Judges chapter 6, and you'll get to the story of Gideon. Okay, by now we could probably guess how the story starts. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So here's another enemy. And it's, it's unique how sort of the enemies are just taking turns. This is like a Bruce Lee movie with all these people stepping in to try to attack him. Um, not sure why they didn't all just get together at one time. Probably would have been a bloody scene, but um, because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves on the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, uh, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing um, for Israel. By the way, the, the cartoon Bugs Life mirrors Gideon almost to a T. Um, they came up with their livestock in the tents um, like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them out or count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midianites so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So God after we get through a couple judges, is looking at Israel. Do you see a cycle? Do you see a cycle? By the way, the Israelites are not the only group of people who follow God that have this cycle of sin. Okay? The church is very good at this cycle of sin. All right? Verse 11. The angel of the Lord. If you've been with us for a while. Okay. Most likely Jesus. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of um, Ophrah, yeah, um, then that belonged to Joaz the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep them from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mark that verse, because it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it will come into play in a second. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, 
Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have, not that you will have, that you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me. My Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, which is one of the tribes, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, um, leaving none alive. Did you catch that? The, the angel of the Lord, and if we understand that that's Jesus, it, it, it's even cooler, sits down next to Gideon, and what's the first thing he says when he looks at Gideon? Calls him a mighty warrior. And then he sends them to go do this miraculous thing, not saying that you will have strength, but you already have strength. Very similar to what he said to Moses when Moses said, who am I? God looked right at Moses and said, it doesn't matter who you are, I'm with you. And everything you need is in your hand. Throw it down in front of me. Gideon, then we find out, is from the weakest clan. And he is the weakest in his family. Here is the lowest of the low, the weakest of the weak, And how does the angel of the Lord approach him? Hey, little boy. Does he treat him like Tiny Tim? Hey, no. He looks at this little, maybe junior higher, we don't know, this little kid and says, mighty warrior. Gideon then returns, because he didn't read a couple verses up, why have you abandoned us? Where is this God and all these great miracles that we've heard of? And then God basically looks at him and says, I'm here and you're the miracle. You're not going to see the miracle. You're not going to see the deliverance. You are going to be the miracle and you are going to be the deliverer. This is such a cool story. And it wouldn't be as cool if it was the only story like this in the Bible. But God does this over and over and over and over again. People who think they're weak, people who think they can't do anything, people who think they have no background, people who think they have too much baggage, people who judge themselves in the mirror, God is saying, no, you're a mighty warrior. You're a mighty princess. Go, and I will be with you. And we find out because we're going to keep moving, that Gideon does exactly this. And if the odds weren't stacked enough against the weakest of the weak, Gideon actually raises an army of 32,000. By the way, Gideon's one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. Gideon is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as one of the pillars of faith. Gideon raises 32,000. God says, ah, hate those odds. Keep in mind, they're going against what the Bible describes as countless, like locusts. 
Ah, 32,000, that doesn't work. You need less people. How many times have we heard God talk to us and we've read the Bible and it seems like God's saying, you know what, I need you to do this, but I need you to do this with less because you're, you're, the odds aren't good enough for you. You're too comfortable. I need you to strip down a little bit. So it happens, when, and, and you can read it. Drops 22,000. All right, I have 10,000. Let's go. The, there's no way a human can win this, but let's try it. Um, by the way, Shamgar did it, but let, let's try it. No, those odds aren't good enough. We find out that Gideon's army of 32,000 gets reduced to 300. Okay, the original 300 movie. The original cool story about odds. And so Gideon, with the power of God, ends up delivering Israel. All right, so we move on. Um, the sixth judge was Abimelech. The seventh was Tola. Not Tula from Greek wedding, the Tola. Um, eighth was Jer. And then we get to the ninth. And we're going to just touch on this real briefly because it brings about a whole bunch of questions. And his name's Jephthah. Jephthah, which is hard to say, and I, I think I said it wrong anyway. And to put it, to set the scene, Jephthah, again, he's a judge. Um, Israel's in, in a battle, and Jephthah decides to do something that's rather crazy. He makes a bargain with God if God would help him. Now, as a judge, he should already know that God has promised to help him, but he lacks faith. And listen to what happens. Verse 29 of chapter 11. just realized I didn't tell you. Verse 29, chapter 11. Then the Spirit of the Lord came unto Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah and Gilead. And from there he advanced against the Ammonites. Now they're going against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. By the way, vows are important. If you, this is Jephthah talking to God, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the, from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now, some of us are already going, ooh, that's, that could be bad. Um, he's pretty confident, and so sure enough, um, God provides. Now, back then, just to give a little bit of help to Jep- Jephthah's stupidity, um, the bottom floor almost predominantly was not a living quarters. It's where the animals were kept and, and all that. It's where sacrifices could go in and out, you know. Um, so that, that's pretty much what the bottom floor was. The next floors were where the family lives. So I'm sure this was in Jephthah's mind. Verse 32. Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from uh, Aurora to the vicinity of Minthia. As far as Abel, uh, Kiramium, he just beat a bunch of towns. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his house in Mizpah, get ready, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of timbrels, which is beautiful, by the way. I actually have no clue. Um, she was an only child, except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought you, uh, you have brought me down, and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. 
My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. By the way, she needs to be given a lot of credit. Now that the Lord has avenged you and your enemies, the Ammonites, but grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. That's a key verse. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he, and he did to her as he had vowed and she was a virgin. Another key to that. From this comes the Israelite tradition that each year the young women of Israel will go out for four days and commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileite. All right. First thing we need to know from this is let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay. When you make a vow to God, you better keep it. Okay. Um, Another thing is don't make stupid promises. There's no more blunt way to say that. Don't. Don't make stupid promises. Oh, God, if you get me out of this, I will... We take for granted, and we, oh, that's not that big a deal. That actually is a big deal. It's the same God. He hasn't changed. He's unchangeable. Oh, God, if you get me out of this situation, I will start... I will do this. Now, the big question, how on earth... Could God allow him to sacrifice his daughter? Okay? Notice that at this point that um, as the vow was made, that God didn't go, okay, yeah, yeah. When his daughter came out, yes, on, on um, Jephthah's side of it, this is who he needs to sacrifice. There's some key things that we need to read out of this. Um, Verse 39 does seem to say that uh, it was a burnt offering. However, this goes categorically against God's laws. Okay? So if somehow she was sacrificed as a burnt offering, God did not condone that. Okay? However, most theologians, when looking at this, there's a couple clues that she was not sacrificed as a burnt offering, but most likely she was given into service to God at the temple. The reason why is, what did she ask of her dad? Let me go out and mourn, not my death, not my burning on the altar, but what? She would never marry. Okay? And then we get back again, and she was a virgin. There's a very good chance that she was not burnt on the altar. And if she was, that is not biblical, and that's not what God would condone. So Jephthah added to his misery there. Um, But most likely, he fulfilled his vow by sacrificing his daughter to God's service. Okay, And so, which means she would never be able to marry. So... That's most likely the answer to that. But again, the Bible is silent on that. It doesn't say exactly um, what happened with his daughter there. All right. Um, 10, 11, 12, we've written there. Um, and the Bible really groups them together. Um, Ibzon, Elon, and Abdon, um, all judges. Then we get to Samson. We're not going to spend any time on Samson because Samson 
is spent, um, we spend a lot of time on him and very well. So the only thing I'm going to say as far as Samson is the question that comes on, well, he was a Nazarite. Um, he, was, he took the Nazarite vow. Um, what that is, and you can find that in Numbers chapter 6, 1 through 21, but specifically verses 3 through 7. Um, a Nazarite, if you, if you go in and um, you take the Nazarite vow, what that means is that you have to do three things. You have to abstain from wine or alcohol, which we will find for Samson was incredibly hard, and he disobeyed that. So much so, you have to stay away from grapes, raisins, seeds, all that kind of stuff. You cannot cut your hair. That's the famous part of the story. You cannot cut your hair. The minute you cut your hair, you break your vow. The third part is you cannot come near or touch anything that's dead. Human, animal, doesn't matter. As we go through, and you can read through the story of Samson, he broke all three of those vows. Okay? Some of those he um, broke over and over again. He battled um, the Philistines, and we'll see the Philistines come, come into play quite a bit. The famous one was Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines are a crazy group of people. Okay? They're from Philista, which translated into modern terms is called Palestine. So Philistines, that's where we get the term Palestine. Um, it actually means purple. Uh, the Philistines most likely came from the island of Crete. Okay? They were the mariners. They were the seafarers. And you'd see that um, referenced quite a bit. So they were most likely the first of those ancient Greek people that would come in, in into play. So the Philistines um, were a crazy group of people, and we'll touch on them when we get um, to David. Next week, we're going to um, talk about Eli and Samuel, because they, they play together. Um, Judges um, um, 14 and 15. I'm not sorry, not next week. Sunday, we'll talk about um, Eli and Samuel. Before we close tonight and go to questions, there's one more person that plays out in the book of Judges, even though she's not in the book of Judges, and that's Ruth. The very next book in the Bible is Ruth. It's four chapters. It is a really, really cool story, and we'll read a little piece of it now. Okay? At one time, Ruth was actually part of the book of Judges, and then that book was pulled out. Okay? So Ruth happens at the same time. We don't know during what judge Ruth took place in, but most likely towards the end. Um, so let's pick up the story, or let's start the story in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the, two, or in the names of their two sons were Malan, who used to be my old pastor way back in the day, and, Ki- and Kilian. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. Okay, underline that. They married Moabite women, not Israelites. Moabite women. One named Orpah. Fun fact. Oprah is named after Orpah. But her mom misspelled it. Okay? So... And the other was Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So here we have Naomi. Her her husband's gone, her two sons are gone, and she's left with two Moabite daughters. 
Okay, the story goes on as she heads back, and, and we'll, we'll pick it up. Let's go to verse 11. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am going to have, I'm not going to have any more sons. Who could be your husbands? It's a good question. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, you would have to wait until they grew up. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand is turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed um, her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where I go, big verse, where I go or where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Okay. And so Ruth comes back to Jerusalem, back or back to Bethlehem with Naomi. Verse or chapter two talks about um, how Ruth ends up meeting Boaz. Boaz is a is a fun character, and we'll, we'll talk about his lineage in a second. Um, Ruth was incredibly poor, and so she would go and and um, what's called glean. As you read the story, you'll notice that she's gleaning from the fields. And what would happen is they they reaped all the harvest. Anything that the people could not carry, if they fell, biblically, according to Levitical law, they could not reach down and pick up the wheat or the corn cob that they dropped. They had to leave it there. Okay, This was a law in Leviticus to help the poor and the least of these. God always has a plan to help the poor and the hungry. Even back in the day, as the farmers harvested their fields, anything that fell out of carts, anything that they dropped... They legally could not pick it up. And so the poor would come in and they would glean. That's where the word glean comes from. And they would pick up these things and they would survive. And so Ruth is now gleaning in the fields of Boaz. The story ends up getting better. Okay? Ruth, Naomi ends up, Boaz, by the way, is a, is a, a, a relative of, of Naomi. And so she convinces um, Ruth to go and lay down at his feet, okay, while he was sleeping, okay? Pretty cool thing. And then he is supposed to take the corner of his garment and cover her up, basically saying, yes, I will redeem you. I will take you in as my wife, okay? There's a pretty cool um, passage in Ezekiel as God is looking at Israel and how they have totally left him. And then at some point he redeems Israel by putting the cover of his robe, obviously symbolically. So that's found in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. So Boaz does this and he becomes her redeemer. It's called a kinsman redeemer. And what happens in, in that time, if you were widowed... You can be redeemed by someone else in the family, the next in line. Boaz was the next in line. Now, Ruth could have gone after a bunch of young guys. She chose Boaz, who was apparently older, and Boaz redeemed her and became um, her husband. 
Now, go all the way to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll close with this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, and we're just going to follow down our thread right here. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Now, this is all during the captivity, most likely. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Stop there, because this now takes place in the book of Joshua. We talked about this um, Sunday morning. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? Rahab. Rahab was that prostitute that protected the spies and allowed Israel to come in. God redeemed her. She was a pagan. God redeemed her, brought her into Israel. She married Salmon, and her son was Boaz. The story gets better with that line, because now Boaz whose mother was Rahab, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, so we're in Jesus's line. We go from prostitute to Moabite, okay? Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David, okay? Ruth, as we see here, is a grandma to David, Okay? It's very, very cool. Or great ground. So it's very cool to see the lineage of, of Christ. How it's not just king, 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 king. It doesn't matter who you are. And if anything you can pick from judges, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what your background is, God will use you, God can use you, and most likely you're the one that God wants to use. Because you're closer to where God wants you, to the ground. The other thing we see in Judges is the cycle of sin. Okay? Always remember that cycle because it repeats itself and we need to try in our lives to stop that. All right, so let's close there and we'll open for some questions. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity um, to be here tonight. We thank you for each and every person here. We thank you um, for those children over there just having fun at Kaboom. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Judges and all those crazy stories. And with each story... They all end with you delivering your people. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we come to you and we we ask for forgiveness and we turn and we repent back to you, we thank you that you redeem us. We thank you for the ultimate redemption you sent us in your son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that we, we see these stories through your eyes and we see that it is always better to follow you than turn away from you. Heavenly Father, we also thank you that... Um, Jesus loves us and that even in Jesus' bloodline, there are people that were redeemed from the very lowest of low. And because they had the humility to get on their knees and turn their life over to you, you use them in miraculous ways. And Heavenly Father, we also thank you for the, the narrative in um, Judges that no matter how big the forces are against us, no matter how big the mountains are in our lives, the problems that we face, nothing is impossible for those who are on your side. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. We thank you for this church and, and the direction you continue to point us. Heavenly Father, be with us, protect us. In your precious name we pray, amen. All right, we sort of fire hose that, I'm sorry. But um, are there any questions that do not have anything to do with Eli or Samuel in the future? Because we will cover that. Any questions out there? People who are non-Christians say that we're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I don't know how to defend that when here in Judges chapter 6, verses 12... The angel of the Lord appeared and basically told Gideon to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. How how is that not how is that not against the uh, commandment, "Thou shalt not kill"? Okay, great question. Number one, the f- answer to the first part is all the skeptics are right. We are all hypocrites. Okay, we are all hypocrites. We all fall. The second piece is the angel of the Lord, who we believe is Jesus, asked um, ro- raised up a judge. Um, to deliver Israel from the oppression um, that was um, against them. Now, the commandment, thou shalt not, not kill, is actually a mistranslation. It should be, thou shalt not murder. Okay? Thou shalt not murder. The King James put kill. Kill is not correct. It's murder. Murder is the murder unjustly of innocence. Okay? There is just killing. Okay? War is justified. Okay? Um, Self-defense, biblically, um, is justified. So there, there are certain elements of killing that are justified. Um, if you murder someone, okay, you take someone's blood, it's with your blood that you need. So there, biblically, there is justified killing. So as these countries or these groups are coming in and unjustly, similar to what we go all the way back, not the, the latest, but the first one, um, or let's go all the way back to World War II, when Hitler unjustly invaded the other countries, we justly could come back and fight. So what's happening with Gideon and with these other judges is they are basically, God is raising up people in Israel to declare war to regain what was taken from them unjustly because God gave them that land. And he gave them that land Way before, he gave that land back in Abraham. So, as you go in, these are wars that are happening. Okay? So, that, that's where, that's what I would answer to the skeptic. We talked about Sunday morning, absolutely, that, yes, you look in Joshua, there's some hardcore stuff there. And it, it's stuff that makes us swallow, go, wow, did it have to be that extreme? But, yeah, go ahead. We would also want to consider the fact that, uh, you know, God doesn't, uh, doesn't give commandments in a vacuum, that he probably gave the Canaanites and, and the Moabites and all of those descendants opportunity to leave the land. They oh, wouldn't absolutely. leave the land, and therefore God gave Israel the commandment to wipe them out because they would not go any other way. Yeah, these, these countries, um, basically the blank with it after it, every single one of these countries, if you understood what was happening, and we talked about this Sunday, if you understood what was happening in those countries, um, every one of them worshipped Baal, they worshipped Molech, they worshipped Asherah. These gods, goddesses, um, the way they would worship is they would take babies, 
Mothers and fathers would take their children, place it onto bronze hands of statues, place it onto the palms. The baby would slide down crying and into fire and over and over and over again. They didn't do this so the God wouldn't kill them. Most often they did it just so they would have a better life. So they would kill their kids so they would have some, mon- some more money and some prosperity. There was, it was Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we saw the, just the, the vileness of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what was happening in Moab. This is what was happening um, with the Amalekites. This is what was happening in the Philistines. These places were abominations. And yes, God warned them. We see that with Rahab. Rahab already knew what was coming. It, this wasn't a surprise to Jericho. This wasn't a surprise to the people. They had heard. They were fearful because they knew it was coming. And they had their chance. And by the way, Rahab took that chance and turned her life over to God. And not only did God spare her, she's in the bloodline of Christ. And so God always gives opportunities for redemption, always gives opportunities for people to flee from their sins. But he is a just and holy God. And in the Old Testament, his way of enacting justice was often through Israel. And he would use them to do that. So, all right. Bueller, Bueller, all right. Let's go ahead and close. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for... On what you're doing. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray um, that you continually um, clear up any questions we would have. If we have questions, give us the wisdom to be able to seek those answers, whether it's here or or somewhere else. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for what you're doing. Heavenly Father, I just pray for, um, as we continue Journey 180, continually be with us, continually give us um, incredible focus. We love you and we praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, I'll be up here if you have any more questions. See you guys Sunday or next Tuesday.